training our kids that their opinion of their own experience matters more than my experience. It's like, so I watch my kid play tennis. Yeah, I could point out the gains that I see, but what's way more interesting is what do you see? Like, what did that experience mean to you? Like, what were your gains? How are you different from where you were before that tennis match? And so like, rather than even needing to project my opinion of the matter, his, his opinion of his own gains are infinitely more interesting and important than my opinion of his gains. And once he starts playing in that realm, because he could even go in the gap about worrying about what I think about his progress. Yeah. I'm an external aspect. Right. Like, I'm not him. He just needs to measure himself backwards, his perspective of his gains, his perspective of his growth. And me then just becoming curious and saying, what did you learn? What are your gains? What did you see from that experience? And helping him do that, but vice versa, me doing it for myself. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. What if someone, because I've definitely heard this before, I've never had this problem. I am so, like, since I was a little girl, I'm like, this is where I'm going. But I do have members of my community who are like, I can't figure out my future self. I don't know what I want that to look like. I don't know who I want that to be. And maybe it's because their imagination isn't strong. Maybe they're not as visual. Are there things that they can do to help arm themselves with information about what they want to aim at? Or we do this thing at Rise Conference where you're visualizing your life over the next 10 years. And when I will just give examples of my own visions, people are like, what? Like, what are you talking about? That that's so crazy. They're like, I'm over here trying to like pay off my credit card and you are dreaming about owning an invisible jet. Like you're making yeah. up something. And the example I always think of is I, I got to go to this mastermind like four or five years ago and I was sitting at this table way over my skis. Like everyone at this table was crazy, way more successful than I am. And, and everyone's going around saying what they were working on the big vision that they had. And I think I was like, you know, I'm writing my next book and I want to sell this many copies, whatever. And it gets around to this guy and I'm not going to say it like exactly right, but essentially he's like, what if dolphins could talk? And like everyone is like, you could hear a pin drop. Everyone's like, what the, I mean, are you drunk? Like what? He's like, no, but what if dolphins could talk? What would they say to us? Now, mind you, this man has so much money and he's like, that's what I'm working on. For the next 25 years, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to get dolphins to talk. Not even kidding. And nobody could say anything. And all I'm thinking is, I'm over here trying to think of how to sell, you know, another book. This guy's trying to figure out how to get a dolphin to talk. The vision, even if he fails at that, the stuff that he's going to figure out how to do in that 
line of work. Like I think of James Cameron making Avatar and he's like, I want to make Avatar. And they're like, we don't have cameras that can do that. So he spends what, 10 years developing the equipment before he could even start filming the movie because cameras didn't exist that would give him the look he wanted. And he just did it again on the second one. Yep. Because he's like, no, this is what I'm doing. They're like, well, that hasn't happened yet. All right, I'll invent it. It's freaking epic. It reminds me that as people, who we mostly are is what we're going for. Seriously. Like who you are right now is what you're going for. That's why, you know, that quote from Robert Greene and stuff that we're generally dealing with so many immediate battles. Like if you're just going for the short term things or even honestly small goals, that's what you're going to produce. Like, and so it's okay that you're not there yet, but you are what you're going for. And so I love the idea of James Cameron. Like he had to figure out how to build all this technology because his goal was so big. Mr. Beast had to figure out how to be really good at a lot of things because his goal was so big. It doesn't really matter that you're there yet. Like, that's not even what matters. But whatever you're going for, the goal shapes the process. The future drives the present. That's just how we all are. And so I guess one, one invitation, and there's a great quote from Albert Einstein. He said, imagination is more important than knowledge. And even uh, Daniel Gilbert talks a lot about this. He's the one who studied future self. Is Most people spend almost no time even imagining their future self. Like we don't even start, you know, to develop the little like, to, like develop the little muscle. And so I think journaling is the thing that continues to help me. Like I, I, but I think it's good to like literally, like one thing I like about the dolphin example, and even I like about your example of like the invisible planes and stuff is <laughs> like imagination and play and playfulness. Like kids didn't have problems thinking about their future self. They were having massive imagination and they were failing even in their imagination. And I think you can practice that. Like 90, like so many of my goals don't occur, like because I'm dreaming big and also I then end up playing with them. And I, I always see it like the draft of a book, like that's what I'm going for. And then like a, a week from now, I'm like, oh no, actually it's there. It's, it's constantly iterating. So I think it's good to just be playful and like think if you're starting to like have a vision, like maybe you want to run a marathon. Maybe you want to run an ultra marathon. Who knows? Maybe in a week from now, none of those goals will even matter. But just play with it. Have fun with it. Like learn to practice uh, thinking about the future and imagining the future and ultimately taking little steps. You know, like I just think it's it's just something you have to practice. You have to actually do it. Like most people, you know, and I'm just talking to the listener right now. Like how much time in the last week have you actually visualized, thought about, and journaled about your future self? Like put yourself in the shoes of your future self. And then actually start to analyze from the like what we talked about before, what 80% of your life right now is actually honestly like lesser goals or in direct opposition to what you want that you're still just kind of maintaining out of habit or fear. And so it's not about just becoming that person today, but it's about being honest that like this is something you want and starting to communicate that. Even language, like starting to talk about it is in a lot of ways how you start to do it. So if you even just start to hear yourself say the words, maybe I want to run a marathon, or maybe I want to write that book, or maybe I want to go travel the world, that language and starting to talk about it starts to kind of, it, it, your language and your future are very connected. Yeah. yeah. I'd also add to that to focus only on what, not on how. Because lots of people 100%. will start to obsess, like they won't allow themselves to dream of something big or yeah. anything at all because there's that analytical mind that starts going, how, how are you going to do that? If you're only allowing yourself to dream of what, 
you're going to come up with such bigger concepts. If you know what, then you can begin to go, okay, but someday what would, what would need to be true in order for that to be my reality? So I was just talking about this the other day with my boyfriend. He loves the mountains and he loves to go hike and he has some time off right now. And so he's really craving like going off in the mountains by himself and like wandering. And I keep going like, you should go do that. That's such a huge part of who you are. You love that. You should go do that. He's like, yeah, but I just, you know, you're so busy. I have a book to turn in. All these things are happening and I want to be supportive of you. And my kids are about to go back to school. And so he's just like, I want to be here. I don't want to like jump out when you're trying to do all these things at one time. And I was like, first of all, I love you. Thank you for that supportive partner. But at the same time, instead of just deciding that something's not possible, ask yourself, how could that be possible? So how could you have your dream of going, you know, rock climbing or whatever by yourself for a week and also feel like you were being a good and supportive partner? So here, you know, hey, we could organize in advance and you would know in advance that I have the support that I need and you wouldn't feel stressed that you were sort of leaving. And I'm also telling you there are ways to get to what you want. There's so many ways to achieve the same goal, but we get stuck in the idea that if it can't be this exact way, that it's not going to work for us. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. How how I've kind of learned to think about it is rather than figuring out the how from the current self, like usually because we don't know the path right now, we get all clogged up and stuff. You, rather than working towards the goal, you actually want to work from the goal, right? And so you, you've Think about it. well, what would need to be true? Like if it was true, and if we were doing it, then what? And the like a big aspect of hope actually is called pathways thinking, is finding pathways of getting where you want to go. And there are always a pathway. Like if you if you commit to it, you find it. You you will find a path. It may be a messy path. It'll be a crazy path. But it, I'm learning more and more. It's better to think and act from the future rather than the present. Like if this was true, what what would I need to do to get it? You start pulling the future to you. You start strategizing from the future rather than trying to figure out how to get there from the present. And so that's that's why I think, imagine that it's true, that you figured it out, that he figured out how to live in the mountains. How would you make that real? You know, right. like, how did they make it real? How did your future self who's already solved it got it? And like, you just, you start to strategize from the outcome you want rather than strategizing towards the outcome you want. So you just let the future dictate the strategy rather than the present. So good. The book that we're talking about, it's Be Your Future Self Now. It's actually not even why we are talking today. That's all right. It's the direction it went. Because, no, I love this because now we get to talk about another subject that I absolutely love. And I feel like we're just serving this audience so well. And these things are going to tie together really nicely. So we have this idea the future self. And guys, the book is so good. I read it in less than a day. Absolutely loved it. Started reading it again, knowing that you were coming. And then I was like, calm down, Rachel. <laughs> but it's not actually how I learned about Ben. I learned about Ben because my accountant and I, we constantly trade book recommendations. <laughs> and she was like, oh, have you heard of this book? And she told me about the idea. I think I looked it up on Amazon or something, and then went to a bookstore and bought it because we want to support local. Uh, so I went over and grabbed it and, and I mean, read it in the afternoon. It was all I talked about and was so funny. Literally took it with me because I was finishing it, took it with me on a plane to Florida, actually. And as soon, I've never done this with a book, but I was like, I got to give this to someone. I'm going to meet someone this weekend that actually really needs this book and ended up in a conversation with a woman. And I was like, 
here, like, go, I just finished this, go read this book. <laughs> and then bought another copy because I loved it so much. I was like, I know that I'm going to need to loan this out to somebody else. So, I mean, anyone can tell you, Kate can tell you, my boyfriend, like I talked about this book. This book is called The Gap Versus the Gain. The gap, right? the gap and the Gain. The Gap and the Gain. Okay. Will you explain this concept? And then I want to unpack it. Yeah, I want to hear why you liked it because that would probably be more exciting to your audience. So I first read, so to give a little bit of background, in 2014 in the fall, that's when I first started my PhD program. And I was really interested in entrepreneurship, but was not an entrepreneur. And so I was actually studying, like my research was on the difference between wannabe entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. And my Aunt Jane, who runs an herbal company out of Salt Lake City, she was like diving into entrepreneurship and she became aware of Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan, the founder of Strategic Coach, he's like almost 80. He's been around for like 45 years teaching entrepreneurs. He's like this legend in that field. I had no clue who he was. I was just just starting school, you know, like <laughs> it's just very into personal development, stuff like that. But she would start sending me these little quote books by Dan Sullivan and I'd flip through them and I was just like in love with these ideas. And that's when I started blogging and so I was integrating a lot of his thinking. But anyways, and anyways, fast forward, we end up getting to know each other. We write a book called Who Not How. But to be fully honest with you, the reason I wrote the first book with Dan, which was the right book to write, was because I really wanted to write The Gap in the Game. Yeah. Seriously. Like, and so he has all these little books and he has, and I just started thumbing through all of them. And I came across this little book called The Gap in the Game. And I read it all and I wrote blog posts about it because I loved it. It's a really simple book. His, his books are very simple. Um, but basically the main idea and there's so many implications. And so we'll go into those, whatever direction you want, whatever you liked. But the main idea is, is that we all have ideals. You know, we all have that future self. We all have where we want to be, but especially as a high achiever. And I know that you said a lot of your people are massive high achievers. If you're always measuring yourself against your ideal, measuring your current self against your ideal, you're always in the gap. And you can do this about anything. So like, this is where Dan really discovered it is because he's always training high level entrepreneurs they'd get together and he'd say, tell me about the last 90 days, you know, and the entrepreneur starts rattling off all these things that happened there. Say, yeah, but honestly, it could have been way better because I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this. And so they've just shared their progress, but then they immediately devalue it. Like literally, they just basically make it worth nothing because they said, I should have been here or we could have done this. And so that's the gap is where you're measuring yourself or your situation against where it ideally should be in your mind. And this is, in my opinion, where trauma is, is, is that if you have a trauma, it means you're measuring your past against what you thought it should have been, where you thought you should be and how it should have gone. Ooh, and you know what I mean? Good. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're, I do. Yeah, that's you're really good. Yeah, you're still looking at your past in the gap where you're like, it should have gone this way, or I could have been this much farther, blah, blah, blah. You've got this story about the past and you've put it in the gap where it's not up to the ideal that you have. And how Dan explains it is, is that ideals are like the horizon in the desert. Like it gives direction. Ideals are amazing. It's good to have a vision. It's good to have goals. It's good to have your future self. And it provides direction. It does not matter how many steps or how fast you're running towards that horizon. It's going to keep going. And so if you compare your current self now to that moving horizon and think you should be there, you're always going to be in the gap. Like you're always going to feel like a failure. And and this is why often high achievers are depressed or they are unhappy because they're always measuring themselves against the next ideal, which is that moving target. And then they're always devaluing everything that they've done. They've never, they're never feeling good. <laughs> they never feel successful. And so this, this book was primarily uh, about happiness, honestly, along the way, but also 
counterintuitively, I think that that's actually what makes you more successful in the long run. Yeah. The gain is the opposite. The gain is when you're measuring yourself against nothing external or even against the ideals in your head. You're only measuring yourself against an internal, against where you were in the past. And so you're just measuring yourself against where was I yesterday? Where was I a month ago? Where was I a year ago? I have no comprehension of you and your path. So why would I compare myself to you? Like we have different journeys. We have different futures. We have different paths. And so like if I'm measuring myself against you, I'm going to be in the gap because I can find a million areas where you're doing better than me. or right. I can. And so it's just not relevant. The only thing that's relevant is comparing myself with where I was before. And so now I'm just measuring myself in the gain. I'm seeing my progress. I'm appreciating my progress. I'm valuing my progress. Like even you and I were talking like at the beginning of this conversation, like you were talking about where you want your new studio to be. Right. And stuff. It's like, look at your studio now. Yeah. Like, compare it with where you were a year <laughs> oh, ago. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. It's like, you'll, you'll get there. Yeah, like exactly. you'll get there, but exactly. look where you are now. It's crazy how, and, and, and so the gain is just only measuring backwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's also increasing the value of your experiences. It's turning experiences into gains. You go through something challenging, lose a loved one, you know, your business fails, you know, a relationship ends rather than comparing it with what it should have been, what were the gains? How can you turn this into a gain? How can you be better? How can you learn from this? Because you are further than you were before. And now you can, you can turn the experience into a gain. And that's really when a trauma becomes post-traumatic growth is when you're no longer viewing it as something negative that's left you like lesser. Yes. But you're actually better because of it and you're grateful for it and you've gained a lot through it. Yeah. So the reason I love the book so much is because I have experienced massive success in my life. I don't want to sound terrible, but that is real. You have, absolutely. I've experienced massive success and I barely remember any of it. I don't acknowledge it. It always made me feel uncomfortable. I am the queen of, I would achieve something and I would feel joy about it for five minutes before I was already thinking about the next thing that I needed to achieve. And I know I am not the only one because I've talked about this with so many friends who felt the same way. And for the longest time, I think I fed myself the belief that this was humble. You know, oh, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to have a big head about the things that I've achieved or the things that our team has done or the things I've been able to experience because I don't think about them. But it's actually this really warped, like very detrimental way of thinking because it's never enough. And when I read the book, I was just like this concept of you're constantly measuring yourself between where you are right now and where you want to be. And you will never be both. <laughs> so just I literally imagine this like this little person who's like looking ahead, literally just turning around and looking backwards and going, okay, but tell me things you've done in the last six months or the last year. And when challenged, because I think the book prompts things like this, when you challenge yourself to go, okay, what have you achieved, right? Or what have you done? And you start making a list of a month, six months, five years. It's like, holy crap. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because there's just this like, oh, I got to work harder and I got to do more. And I got, and it's like such an unhealthy ideology. And this gives you such peace over, oh, no, no, you are making great progress. You're making great strides. You're just not looking at it. It was super helpful for me. And I think anyone who's the Enneagram three, the high achiever, the feels like what I'm describing, I think it's life-changing information, truly. There's this part, I think it's in this book and not 
the future self, but you know, you got so many books, it's hard for me to remember which one's which, but there's this story you tell about the, I think it's the English rowing team where they're, the idea of will it make the boat go faster? Oh yeah. That I just loved. Is that, is that in Gap or is that in Future? I think future? it is. It's okay. a, no, it is in Gap. I love it. And I think there's such incredible clarity in like just being that focused on where you're going. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Yeah, basically it was, oh, yeah, it was basically about the idea of having a clear success criteria and clarifying, like, what is success? But the British rowing team, pretty much their objective was to win the gold, obviously. This was, like, for the Olympics. Uh, and they pretty much just developed a single question filter, like a decision filter for everything they did. I think this fits, honestly, really good with future self as well. But it's, like, every every opportunity or option that was presented to them, they just asked themselves through the decision filter, well, will this make the boat go faster? And if the answer was no, they said no. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, all right, stay up late and hit up the party or go to bed for practice. Well, we'll staying up and stuff, you know, will that make the boat go faster? If the answer is no, the answer is no. Yeah. And so I, I one of the reasons why, I, actually one of the reasons why this is good is because one of the problems, and this is kind of what you were even talking about, is is with high achievers, they're often not their 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 past becomes blurry. It's it's like literally not it it doesn't have a lot of texture and development. And so like one of the reasons why the gain is so beautiful is like I can look back on the last seven days and if I actually just took 15 minutes to think about it, or even 10, what actually occurred in the last seven days? Right. I'm gonna start to actually literally think about it and journal about it without distractions. Holy crap, a lot just happened. And actually massive milestones that my past self was like dreaming about actually a lot of those things are now my normal life like okay that now you've just given it context you've just given it texture and like one of the things that dan talks about that i really like is is that if your past is immeasurable your future probably is as well and so like whoa yeah so like one of the things that this does is it allows your past to be measurable you can actually measure where you are versus where you were before you can actually quantify to some degree what the heck just happened in the last week and so as you get better at measuring your own progress, you get better at developing clear criteria for your future. And so the goal is, is that you just have more and more, like a measurable future, but honestly, in my opinion, way more importantly, a measurable past. And like you can actually look back on the last week, on the last month, and you can actually see where you're different from your past self. It's like, honestly, even myself, like I've been reading some really cool books lately and like I've been doing some hard thinking and I've gone through some changes in the last week past me a week ago versus past me today that's talking to you, I'm pretty different actually. And I can see why and I can see the experiences that are happening. I can see how I'm changing how I value things and stuff like that and what I'm going for and what I care about. And so it just allows you to check back and see your progress, value your progress, care about your progress. And interestingly, that actually gives you more confidence and imagination towards the future too. What's so interesting is I think I'm really good. I don't even think I know I'm really good at gratitude work and yeah. looking for blessings and, you know, what great things surprise me today and like sure. feeling like the universe and God is like taking care of me and sending these beautiful little moments, a hummingbird outside the window or, you know, a, an amazing time with my kids or whatever. I'm so good at seeing these sort of magical things come up in life, but not as good at acknowledging the good things I have done, right? And, or like, oh yeah, you worked really hard and you've changed the way 
that you deal with that trauma or you worked really hard and you now have this relationship with your kids that you didn't used to have. Like these are the things that you can acknowledge in yourself. And I just so needed this reminder at the exact time that I was able to read this book because I don't want to raise kids who have this. Like I have some high achievers in my mix of four children already. And I really am trying to hold consciousness. I love them being exactly who they are, but I don't want one of my kids in particular, I do not want him to have to face some of the same stuff that I have. Like we we started talking recently about his anxiety because I started to notice that he was having these moments and I'm like, hey, are you, tell me. And he's, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And tell me about that. What does that feel like? And I'm just like, oh buddy, if I can help you figure this out at your age, instead of at 39, I feel like I can save you so much time to just let go of these perceptions or look how far you've come. Or, um, so it's one of those things that like, if we can't figure it out for ourselves to figure it out for the people we influence feels hugely important. Yeah, I think every coach or parent or teacher, if they don't understand the gap in the gain, they're probably always in the gap about, you know, their kid, for example. And I, admittedly, this was one of the reasons I wrote the book is, and I'm still, by the way, in the gap probably more than half the time. Like, seriously, I actually, I'm glad we're talking about this because I need some serious reminders right now. <laughs> uh, we've been on lots of trips lately with my kids and, you know, I, I've, I need to appreciate their progress a lot more. One of the things it's kind of reminding me of what you were saying is, is we all have a lens of the world, right? And you, you, you train that worldview and you see what you're looking for. And so if, you know, for example, me as a parent, I'm always seeing this thing about my kid that bugs me, right? That I've trained myself. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm expecting, right? Right. And uh, in psychology, there's a concept called the Pygmalion effect that basically people rise or fall to the expectations that you have for them or you rise or fall to the expectations of those around you. And yeah, so you they can, see this in like educational studies, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if a teacher believes that a student is gifted, the student will actually, there's some like study and I'm forgetting yeah. where it was like they they got the test wrong or they gave them, they, they, oh, I'm, I'm butchering. It's you know actually in future about? self. It's okay. in future self. Okay. So. I'm like, I read a book. No, no, like, no, no. It was no. my book. No, well, well I just, well, <laughs> cause I was just talking about this, but well, in that study, and I'll, I'll go back to, back to the worldview, but in that study, the researchers told the teachers, and this was for second and third grade teachers, yes. that they basically gave the students IQ tests and that these students are gifted and these students are non-gifted. And they gave the teachers a list of, you know, we gave your students IQ test. Here's the list of gifted and here's the list of non-gifted. And they predicted that the gifted students would obviously like learn and develop way more throughout the school year. And that's what happened. And then at the end of the school year, they told the teachers, you know, hey, like, just so you know, we actually didn't give them IQ tests. That was totally random assignment. Like we just made that up. <laughs> like none of those no, there's no different, you know, like we didn't do that. And so right. like they had, but there's so much truth to that. And I see that myself with my kids that like, especially with the older three that we adopted, I'm like, I'm getting what I'm expecting and I'm, I'm seeing what I'm expecting. And so one of the reasons why I like the gain and it's a practice, it's like a muscle you practice this is why like literally at the end of the day, like, like look back and find those gains, like see where you're making progress, see where your kid's making progress. Because if you don't see it in yourself, you don't see it in others. And so like, if I actually sat and thought about 
for example, my 10-year-old son, Logan, and I thought about who he is now versus where he was six months ago, if I don't actually take time to practice thinking about it and seeing that actually there's so many things he's grown out of that used to bother me, or like he, there's so many things, and by the way, if I'm bothered, that's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But there's so many things that like he can do. He's He's developing so far, but if I'm not thinking about this or if I'm not practicing this, I assume he's still who he was six months ago and I'm talking to him the same way. Yes. And, I'm, and I keep telling him where he's not showing up. And even if he is making massive progress, if I'm in the gap, is all I'm saying is, is, well, yeah, but why aren't you there yet? Right. Why aren't you there yet? Like my son, Caleb, who's 14, he's so into tennis and I'm blown away at how, how much he's progressing. And like, I could easily just say, yeah, but why didn't you win that last tournament? Or like, yeah, but your shots, I could, we can always find the gap. But if you help point out the gain, then they start to appreciate it. They start to actually see their own gains and feel it. And that's, that's I think, very healthy. But it also propels confidence. It propels them to, like, just be in their own game. Yeah. Well, I also think that if you have more than one kid, it's very easy to put one of – unintentionally to put a kid a, into them. a gap because you're comparing them to someone else. And I definitely think – because my kids have such distinct personalities that I think of them like this is the straight A student who wants to go to an Ivy League college. This is the athlete. This is the artist. Like it's so such a part of their personality. But I realized this recently. God love him. He's like the class clown. He's the most charming kid I have. He loves a group, loves a party. Very, very similar to me in a lot of ways is the athlete has always gotten incredible grades, incredible grades. Not because I, I'm not that parent that's like, you got to get the, I just, I, that's not me. He's done it because that's just what they do. That's his personality type. And it wasn't until like a year ago that I was like, oh, dang, you are so smart. You get your, like, you're doing the same thing that your brother is doing. You're different personalities. And so I really celebrate the athlete in him because I'm like, that's who he is. And I really celebrate the student in this son because that's who he is. And I'm not acknowledging, I feel like on some level I'm limiting both of them by not looking for ways that they are more than just one thing or sort of deciding that one is one and one is the other. So that was a huge one for me of considering where with the kids do I, where do I hold gaps? My five-year-old daughter is so sassy. And so, I mean, she's adopted and like, God is like, you were never going to get any other kind of girl because this is who you are. But she's a handful and she's been a handful her whole life. And it can be, you know, when you're exhausted, you're like, I can't argue with you anymore over this thing. And you just don't have the patience. It's very easy to get frustrated. If I look back to where she was a year ago, oh my gosh, she has grown so much and learned so much and is just flourishing if I look to a year ago. But if I'm just looking at this current moment and all I'm seeing is my own frustration, right? My own exhaustion, my own like comparing her to who I wish she was being right of now. Of course. It's always going to come up short. And the thing is, whether it's our relationships with our partners, our family, our friends, our children, people perceive, even if it's nonverbal, what you think of them. And this idea of teachers, like the students in your class living up to what you perceive 
this, if you think about a teacher and someone says, hey, these 20 kids are gifted, they're genius IQs, and then these kids are not. If the genius IQ kids start acting up, they are doing that, you're like, oh, it's part of being genius, probably. <laughs> like they're just, that's their own like unique thing. That's who they, you make excuses based on the belief you have about someone. So finding a way to shift your perception, I feel like is so powerful. Beyond looking backwards, are there things that people can do to find and see more gains? Yeah. And, and think about it as a kid or even think about yourself. Like if someone in your life actually recognizes and not only recognizes, but acknowledges your progress, like they actually point out like, hey, I noticed that like you've actually been a lot more patient lately in these situations. Like if you're a parent and you're, you're regularly pointing out and appreciating and showing them like, look, maybe they didn't even notice it themselves because they're trained in a gap culture, right? And like, we do live in a gap society where we're always measuring ourselves against others on social media and stuff and whatnot. But like one is, is certainly like regularly take time. Like for me, one of the things we recommend in the book is obviously like, just like write it down every night, like maybe just five minutes, like literally write down the progress you've made, or you could write down the progress you've seen in your kids. Like over the last week, like you have to kind of just take time. Like it doesn't need to be more than like five minutes a day or maybe like 15 minutes on the weekend where you're just like, let's just look back on this weekend. Yeah. All hell broke loose. But like, what were some of the gains? Like, you know, like we we have three kids that we adopted. And we have three other ones. And like, they all have challenges. And it can be easy just to obsess on the challenges. But it's like, well, wait, what in that week went well? Oh, wait, yeah. Like my daughter, Jordan, for example, she sometimes can challenge us. She's very strong. She's like a strong girl. She can be a strong woman. There were a lot of really good moments. Like even like yesterday, she ha she had a great morning. Sometimes she struggles in the morning. Yesterday, she was super helpful in the morning. Like, point that out right so like you have to take time to like actually become more aware and then you point it out and you talk to people about it you get in the gain about it for other people you point out other people's gains you point out your own gains so i think just taking the time it's literally retraining your worldview so that that's more what you're paying attention to that's more what you're seeing that's more what you're acknowledging and as you do that for others you will start like it's amazing because then you're kind of training them to see their own gains you're training and I think that this is actually the big, big idea in the book that maybe didn't even come out as clearly as it should have. And maybe I now understand it more than that. What's really interesting is, like for myself, the only person who has access to my past and my experience is me. Mm -hmm. I can't access your experience. I can't, even in this conversation, you and I are having totally different experiences. I'll never be able to get to your experience. I'll never be able to get to my daughter's experience. And so for me... The only person whose opinion of my own experience that matters is my own because I'm the only one who can even have it. Right. It's my experience. You can't get there. You can't tell me what it means. You can't tell me what it says. And so if I choose to determine what my own experience means and if I choose to create value from my own experience, whatever it was, my parents get a divorce, blah, blah, blah. I, that's my experience. I get to choose what that means. I get to choose to create value from it. I get to choose you know, how I, how I see it. And I think in the end training our kids that their opinion of their own experience matters more than my experience. It's like, so I watch my kid play tennis. Yeah, I could point out the gains that I see, but what's way more interesting is what do you see? Like, what did that experience mean to you? Like, what were your gains? How are you different from where you were before that tennis match? And so like, rather than even needing to project my opinion of the matter, his his opinion of his own gains are infinitely more 
interesting and important than my opinion of his gains. And once he starts playing in that realm, because he could even go in the gap about worrying about what I think about his progress. Yeah. I'm an external aspect. Right. Like, I'm not him. He just needs to measure himself backwards, his perspective of his gains, his perspective of his growth. And me then just becoming curious and saying, what did you learn? What are your gains? What did you see from that experience? And helping him do that, but vice versa, me doing it for myself. Like when I, when I walk away from this conversation, you know, you'll have gotten your own gains. I'll have gotten my own. But what matters for me is how am I different because of that conversation? What did I learn? Like what's now different for me? What's my experience? Because it's only my experience. It's just me and my experience. Yeah. It's you and your experience. Yeah. It requires a slowing down. It requires contemplation which I, I know can be difficult for people because we're going so fast and sometimes we don't want to unpack or we don't want to journal or we don't want to meditate or pray because we don't want to think about the stuff that we don't want to acknowledge. But I found like anything else, this type of thing is a practice. And what I love about a practice is there's no right way to do it, but you're practicing at it becoming something that's more part of who you are. And you need reminders constantly. Like I'm, I love the book. I've talked about it a ton. Even sitting here with you, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that part. And I want to take that. Oh, I want to pull that into what I'm trying to do. So that book is, I, I just feel like they should get both the books. I know you have more than two, but those are the two I've read. So I can highly recommend uh, both of them. I will say, I think the gap in the game like, I, I love both books. The Gap and the Gain is a very important book because it's a very unique message. Uh, it feels so good. Like, whenever I do it, even if I just sit after this conversation when I'm in my Uber going back to the car, if I actually sat and just listed the gains on different time frames. And by gains, I mostly mean, like, first off, literally just what happened. <laughs> what are my experiences? Uh, what's some form of progress? What have I learned? How am I, like... Like gains can be anything. Gains yeah. can be experiences you've had, things you've learned, positive experiences, maybe achievements, maybe learning from a from a difficulty. But and the great part is you can do it on different time frames. So if I'm sitting in the journal on, on my Uber home, you know, or to the airport after this, because now I'm thinking about the gap in the gain again. The great part is doing it on different time frames. It's like, okay, what happened this week? All right, what about the month? Okay, what about the year? Like, what about the last three months? You can look at it at different time frames and it just First off, it does feel good. Seriously, it feels great. Like to just list it out and just look at it and be like, that was a big week. Like it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Perfection is the gap, right? I can look at all the gaps that I want, but this is some progress. One thing I will say that the book did for me writing it is uh, like I'm a high achiever. I'm a gapper all the time. Like I'm, you know. <laughs> a gapper. <laughs> yeah, well, and just being fully honest. Yeah. So like when my first book came out, Willpower Doesn't Work, you know, I had all these ambitions of it being on the New York Times bestseller list like so many authors. And I remember it not hitting. And I remember feeling like an utter failure, mm. utter failure. And I had, like I didn't know what I was doing. So I was throwing all sorts of money at it and stuff like that and just trying all these things. And it it didn't do what I wanted it to. And so then I felt like a failure when in truth, where I was was actually, Ben, you just published your first book. It sold five or 10,000 copies. That's further than you were three weeks ago when the book wasn't out. Right. But I was not acknowledging any of that progress. I wasn't acknowledging all the mountains I'd climbed even just to write a book. Mm -hmm. Like, because I didn't hit some, some ideal, I felt like a failure. And I remember going through a deep depression. And even right now, you know, just honestly, the future self book is not reaching expectations. Right. But the truth is, is like, I am further than I was yeah. last week. 
it sold X amount of copies more than it did the week ago. Right. Like, and so it's like, you're always actually further than your past self. Maybe your ideals have gone massively through the roof, you know, which we often do when you become more successful, your ideals shoot through the roof, right? Because that's your imagination. That's your mm -hmm. confidence. That's great. Drive you, you know, but, but if you don't really genuinely appreciate that who you are right now is always further than where you were yesterday. Yes. You're well, always further. I would also like to add that it's way easier to have a vision and to work on something when you're the only one who cares about it. Because one of the craziest things that happen when you get more successful is now other people are invested in the success. Girl, wash your face. Sold millions of copies. Yes. That was my sixth book. Nobody cares about the five that came before it, right? So sixth book comes out of nowhere, does this thing, miracle of miracles, thank God. I had already written the follow-up before it came out. And I'm so grateful because if I hadn't, if I hadn't written the follow-up, I don't think I would have ever written another book again because it was too much pressure. So I just had this like, this book's out and people are hungry for more and boom, here it comes one year later and it all works and it's this big arc and whatever. And then I really wanted to write a book inside of COVID about going through hard things, about living through trauma and the hacks and the skills and the tools and whatever that we could use that would help us navigate these hard times. Because I've lived through a lot of hard times and that was a very hard season. And that book debuted at number two on the New York Times bestseller and sold more copies than most authors will ever see in their entire lifetime. 100%. And it is a failure according to my publisher. Yep. When other people are invested in your success now, everything for me, according to the publisher, will be compared to Girl, Wash Your Face, which I cannot replicate, no matter how hard I try. And if I actually tried, I would stop writing. I would stop creating. I don't know how to create the magical unicorn that was that book unless I just keep doing the work to the best of my ability. And I told you earlier, I don't have ego around humble things. I feel so freaking grateful that I get to live this life. But when you have other people who are like, it's not doing, you know, we really were hoping that it was going to, you know, sell out the advance by now. And it's not, and it's so much pressure on you, especially if you are an achiever if you've got any people-pleasing tendencies inside of you, you want to make sure that everybody likes you. It's so much pressure. So I feel like it's worth saying for us, for other people who are listening, to be mindful of where you get forced into the gap because of other people's perception of your work or your efforts, not because of what actually matters to you. And I'm super grateful. I think that the last book is one of the most important things I've ever written. I think it actually- Huge gain for you and yeah, for other people. Yeah, the, the people that it helped, the stories that I've heard from that book are way more profound than they were on anything that I had written previously. It wasn't funny and it wasn't lighthearted and it wasn't, but I'm proud of that work. And I'm also actually super grateful for the reset. Like I feel like it level set expectation. So now the publisher isn't hoping for wash your face they're just like well can you do what can you do so yeah it's just worth saying man i know what that feels like and i remember when it it got it was at number two and it didn't hit number one that's insane what i'm even saying to you is insane but i remember how disappointed everyone was and that i felt like i had failed because i didn't get 
to number one. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think one of the most, the biggest gifts we can give ourselves is to just remove that expectation that other people are putting on us and our success because it it doesn't it doesn't serve it's have you have you ever heard my story about getting on the, the new york times list no, okay so um i think every author i mean like if yeah. you're an author and you haven't thought about that no. i good for you you're no you're, no no everyone not, everyone thinks about it everyone thinks about it with every book, even when I didn't know what I was doing, when a hundred people would buy the book, like when I self-published, I was like, maybe it'll make the list. I had no idea, right? So with each subsequent book, now we're getting into book six, I've hoped and it just has never worked. And with Girl, Wash Your Face, I knew that was my best hope of having a book hit the list because it was the most, I sort of built up a little audience. And when I, not married anymore, but when I was married years ago, on our wedding, someone had given us a bottle of Dom Perignon. And I wasn't a champagne drinker, and I knew that it was a very expensive bottle. So I was like, I can't just drink this. I, it's got to be special. So I took a piece of tape, and I wrote on the front, New York Times bestseller. And for 10 years, I carded that. Whenever we moved houses, it would go into, it would be in the fridge at my office. It would be in the fridge at home so that every time I opened the refrigerator, I would see New York Times bestseller, New York Times bestseller. And every time a book would launch, I would think maybe this is it. And then I would cry when it didn't happen. Girl, wash your face, launch, you know, you do the whole pre-order campaign and that's a big deal. And I remember that you know, it's like you wait one Tuesday or whatever. You wait a week and then on yep. Tuesday they call you. You're like, I'm very familiar. <laughs> and they were like, it didn't make the list. And for books, usually it, it's like a movie opening. If it doesn't do well in the beginning, you're sort of done. And I was so, I just bawled my eyeballs. I was so sad. I was so disappointed in myself. You know, my dreams are dead. I'm never going to get this. I don't know how to get this, whatever. So I was sad. I had a good cry, kind of like move on with my life. And I just keep doing the work and promoting the book. And it keeps growing and it keeps growing and it keeps growing. And Girl, Wash Your Face has By the, growing, what do you actually mean? I don't know the numbers, but Girl, Wash Your Face got on the New York Times list three months after it came out. That does not happen. No. Like it's like one and you go or you don't go at all. But was it like it came out and then it was gradually no, like it growing came, or what? It came out and then just gradually got bigger. Yeah. And to be honest, Ben, my success in every part of my life has always been word of mouth. It has. It's like one person tells another, tells their mama, tells a friend, buys their sister a ticket, does the thing. You know, people are like, oh, tell us your, you know, digital, best digital marketing advice. And I'm like, <laughs> you show up for a community for 15 years and then they, you know, serve you back. But it, when it finally got on the list, it stayed there for a year and a half. Crazy. But in that moment, first of all, best, best drink of champagne you've ever had in your entire life. <laughs> um, and if you go in my fridge right now, there's a whole drawer that's champagne bottles. Like whenever I get a fancy champagne bottle as a gift, I put tape on it and call another bowl. And it just sits there. Beautiful. And someday, you know, it'll be a thing. I think that's, that's a good time capsule kind of concept. Yeah. But I just, I, I say that because you get, it's sort of, I don't know if you feel like this, but I, I feel like we can get, we can convince people of the dream and they'll buy into the idea, right? You get a publisher to commit to making a book and they'll do this thing and whatever. And you're like, I don't know, the little wounded child in me is like, finally, someone believes in me. And then it doesn't work the way everyone wanted it to. And then they stop believing and you're like, no, 
But I have realized more and more as I've gotten older that you only need one person to believe in you and that is yourself. And that version of you that's willing to keep showing up, right? And keep writing more words. And if I'm, if that's your dream, maybe it takes 10 books. Maybe it takes one more. Maybe it's this one and yeah. you don't know yet. Sure. But I just, I, I want to put that out into the world because it's so easy to feel like you are existing in some kind of gap because someone else had an expectation of you that was never aligned with what it was you were trying to do. I think that's so beautifully said. It, it, first off, it reminds me that we get placed in the gap regularly by other people and vice versa. We put other people in the gap and that gap, if it's from someone else, is their <laughs> ideal for you. Right. And so we do that for our kids, right? Where it's like we put them in the gap, but we're not it's not their ideal. It's our ideal for them. One thing that was really interesting, and again, this is what, this is kind of what this book continues to do for me. I remember recently me and Dan actually spoke on a stage, pretty big stage together. And it's fun to be with Dan because he's like, so pat, he goes in the gap, but like, he's pretty trained out of it. Like he's, he's literally like, we, we got up and we did a presentation. We were talking about the new book we were talking about. It was not good according to maybe my standards, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like, like, I'm like, we're not doing this well. And like afterward, I was like, what'd you think about that day? He's like, oh, it's great. He's like, amazing. It was amazing. And then I went and I talked to a few other people. And they're like, that was awesome. You know what I mean? And then I talked to one other person. He was like, he knew Dan's work very well. He was like, dude, you failed. <laughs> He's like, you let Dan down. Oh, he was going no. around. And, and I just remember thinking about all this and thinking, I remember being on the stage and I was thinking about the gap in the game, just realizing back to the whole idea, like no one else has access to this experience but me. Like I'm the only person who gets to decide if this is a gap or a game. Yeah. Like I'm the only person who gets to learn from this. I'm the only one who defines the meaning of this. I'm the only one. This is me. And so like if I can't actually live up to anyone else's other other people's experiences or their expectations for what they want from me. The only thing I can do is define my own experiences. Yeah, it's literally. Like, yeah, this, and so I was yeah. at complete peace. Literally, go ahead. No, I bet. I, I, it was pure I, I, peace. This concept, which blew my mind when I started to explore it more, was like the definition of what is good and what is bad. And I don't mean like good and sure. evil, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Disney villain or whatever. But I mean how often in our lives have we defined something as really good that when we look back actually was very hurtful for us? And how many times have we looked at a season and been like, this is a really bad, crappy season. And then later you're like, oh my gosh, that brought me these three things. I wouldn't be this person if I hadn't gone through it. So the concept of good or bad or more than anything, sort of chasing what feels comfortable to us, what feels nice in the moment is really detrimental. And how crazy, I think of like on Apple TV, he is a soccer coach that goes to England to be a coach. Ted Lasso. Never heard of it. Ben. <laughs> okay, okay I'll watch season it. two is very. Ted Lasso. It goes you weird. But season one, you have to watch. It is so good. And maybe it'll be on your plane when you're headed back. So imagine like middle America, he's a college coach. And you know how seriously they take soccer, football in England. An English team hires him to come coach their major league team. 
knowing that he is totally unqualified for this job. There's like a whole backstory. And he is the most joyful, happy. It's just always good. It's just, he's so positive. Everybody hates him, but he refuses to see any situation as bad. And it is the best. Oh, you have to watch it. You will make you feel so good. But it really is such a definition of like, we decide if the moment's bad. We decide that there are these things that I can be stressed out about, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and have a good day anyway. Rebel. You know, we decide how we feel about something. And I don't think that most people can step outside themselves enough to grasp that concept. We were taught by mom and daddy or a family of origin that this was good and this is bad. And we don't really ever ask if that's incorrect and that we get to define it. Well, one thing that I think you're saying, which is massive, is first off, if you look back on anything from your past and you just cancel it out as a failure because it didn't go according to the ideal or what was expected, you've just thrown that away, right? And even me, for example, like not hitting the bestseller list, whatever, like if I just toss that away as a failure, not only have I just devalued it, but I'm no longer getting good stuff from it. Uh, I've just devalued my own experience, which is just mine, but now... I'm getting, I'm, I'm not getting better because of it. I'm still bitter, you know? Yeah. And, and like, I think trauma, any form of trauma, like, so my parents, you know, their divorce, right? Or my dad being a drug addict. If I just say terrible childhood, I just throw it off as a failure. Or, oh, why me? You know, and I'm the byproduct of my experience rather than my experience being the by- byproduct of me. If you throw anything from your past away and you say it's no good, I got nothing from that or it wasn't what it was supposed to be. It was a, it was a lost cause. Then you're still in the gap about it and you're not gain, gaining from it. You've talked very openly about your divorce. Like my wife was divorced before I ever met her. And like I could, I first off, I, I had no opinion of that, honestly. But she, I remember she really didn't talk about it much for a long time. But I think now, I think she's massively in the gain. Of, she was in the gain about it from the beginning. Never in the gap, never a failure, never a lost cause. But I actually am still getting gains because of that experience. Mm. I'm getting the gains. Uh, And I think she is too. And so I just think whatever it was, if you throw it down the gutter and say that was not a valuable experience or that wasn't what it was supposed to be, then you're not learning from your own experience. And you're you're not actually getting the fruits, the benefits of your experience. And also... It's your choice. Yeah. It's, it's how you see it. But if you're in the gain about it, you realize you are better. You are better and you can be grateful for it. And that's really what post-traumatic growth is. It's like you're grateful it happened. You're, and you keep getting gains from it. I keep getting gains from my, my childhood, like yeah. from my dad. And he and I are so close now. I know he's still getting gains from his experience. And you can keep getting more and more and more benefits and gains from a single experience just because you're a different person analyzing it now. Well, and it's also, I think, goes back to the idea of identity, which is where we started this whole conversation. (laughs) What a beautiful way to tie it all together. But if you had had that experience where you spoke on stage and you were like, that sucked. I sucked. I'm a terrible speaker. And then this guy speaks into your life. Yeah. And he's like, wow, you really failed your mentor. That was (laughs) crap, you know, whatever. If you aren't careful, you will allow that to become your identity. 
I'm a terrible speaker. I'm a failure. I don't show up for people when I'm supposed to. That could be a whole crazy trigger for you. And maybe that keeps you from ever speaking on stage again because you decided that you were bad at it. That's a trauma. It's a trauma. Something happens and so as a result, you don't do it again. Right. (laughs) And instead of saying like, however you perceive that feeling of like, okay, well that didn't work. You know, we're Edison making a light bulb. I learned a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. There's something really important because part of identity is being able to shift and sort of control the way that you see yourself is calling that shot and saying, like, if you decide I am a world-class speaker, I'm an incredible thought leader, I'm a teacher, I am these things, and that is the focus that you have for your life and that is the direction that you're going, then that moment in time, that, that keynote that you didn't think was as good as it should have been, is a lesson along the way to something greater as opposed to the end, the stop, the definition of who you are now. Absolutely. I mean, it it is a lesson along the way, but also the benefits of it were different than I thought. Like as an example, with that talk, maybe I thought it was supposed to be this, but it didn't go that way. But in analyzing it, I learned totally different things than I was even reflecting on. And so I got way more out of it than I thought it should have been and totally different things out of it because I now became open to a totally different way of looking at it. So yeah, it certainly became a, a, you know, moving block towards me becoming better, but also in looking at it from a different angle, I saw way more mature angles on it than if I was just only measuring it against a great talk. It's like, Looking back, like, oh, wow. Like, and actually what was interesting as well about that one was in talking to some of, like, it's just also, like, you know, you publish a book, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it, right? Some people, it ruined their life, some people, it blessed their life, right? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> the same thing is true of of any experience. Like, everyone's only looking at it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I can never know what any listener of this talk is getting from it. But it just it's just further taught me like, wow, like it it really allows you to play your own game. Yeah. And and that's really what the whole gain is, is just having a continuous internal referencing system where you're just playing your own game, but you're loving other people, you're you're playing games with them, and you're you're just all in the game together. <laughs> Honestly. It's a it's a beautiful process. So Well, this I will tell you for sure, whatever your perspective was on this time, this was such a blessing. I'm so glad you got it. Oh my gosh, this was so amazing. I already know the audience is going to die for this episode. If they want to, we talked about the books and we'll definitely put links to those in the show notes. But um, if they want to follow you on social, sign up for your email, will you tell them where they can find all that stuff? Yeah, I think easiest is just. either benjaminhardy.com or futureself.com like that's those are the easiest spots that's pretty much it yeah thank you so much for the time man i appreciate Uh, it i loved it it was really fun the rachel hollis podcast is produced by me rachel hollis it's edited by andrew weller and jack noble